Welcome to a very special 150th episode of The Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Krivat, host of The Climate Champions. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at krivatenergyinnovations.com. My featured guest today are three leaders from the Peak Load Management Association organization. And this episode was recorded as part of their PLMA Load Management Dialogue webinar series. PLMA is a member-led nonprofit organization founded in 1999 as the voice of load management practitioners. Today, PLMA has almost 200 member organizations, including private and publicly owned utilities, technology companies, energy and energy solution providers, equipment manufacturers, research and academic organizations, and consultants. Many thanks to Judy Knight, Chief Development Officer at PLMA, for organizing and hosting the webinar. Also, a big thanks to my guests, Jenny Rome, a Senior Manager of Utility Solutions at Schneider Electric, Michael Brown, Director of Energy Services at NV Energy, and a special thank you to Ross Malmi, President and CEO at Malmi Energy Consulting, for his continued support of the Climate Champions and making this event happen. The Climate Champions is sponsored in part by the Gridwise Alliance, uniting grid modernization experts from across the electricity industry. The Gridwise Alliance promotes grid innovation for a decarbonized economy. To learn more, visit gridwise.org. Also, Gridwise's annual signature event, GridConnect, is around the corner next month on December 5th and 6th in Washington, D.C. I will again host the Hot Seat interview this year with Jean Rodriguez, Assistant Secretary for Electricity for the U.S. Department of Energy. During our interview, we'll be enjoying four Small Axe Peppers hot sauces, including Mango Habanero, the only 9 out of 10 rating my brothers and I gave on our Brooklyn Brothers Food Review YouTube channel, formerly known as Crevatatech. It's going to be a great fire side chat. What I love about GridConnect is connecting with subject matter experts from business, utilities, and government, all exploring critical policy issues to accelerate investment, technology innovation, and deployment of a modernized grid, the critical infrastructure component of a decarbonized economy. I'm super excited to see you there. For more information on PLMA, check out their YouTube video channel, PLMA Peak Load Management Alliance, their podcast, PLMA Load Management Dialogues, and their website, peakload.org. And without further ado, let's get to this special 150th podcast episode recorded during a PLMA webinar. Take it away, Judy. This is a load management dialogue presented by PLMA, and here you'll discover practitioner perspectives on flexible energy load management, demand response, distributed energy resources, and managed charging. Today's session offers a very important conversation about climate and the many challenges associated with its visible changes around us. We'll talk a little bit about the impact of PLMA's work and also opportunities for new approaches. 
The discussion today will be led by Lee Cravette, who is the host of the podcast, The Climate Champions. And Lee is going to be speaking today with three PLMA leaders. And now it is my pleasure to hand the floor to Ross Malmi, who is a past PLMA board chair and CEO of Malmi Energy Consulting. Ross, can you say a few words about the topic and introduce our speakers and get us underway, please? Thank you very much, Judy, and welcome everybody to this webcast. Exciting subject. Lee is definitely an expert on the mitigation of climate change. He is the CEO of Cravette Energy Energy Innovations for the last five years. Prior to that, he was at San Diego Gas and Electric. I think he tried to retire, but uh, was unsuccessful at that, but just like I, I have been and felt that he had more to contribute, and he certainly does with the program that he has underway with the Climate Champions, which is really, if you haven't had a chance to listen to these, these, these are really entertaining. So joining me in this panel will be Jenny Rohn. Jenny is with Schneider Electric. She's also on the executive committee of PLMA, and she's a senior manager of utility solutions at, at Schneider Electric. And also I'll be joined by, by Michael Brown. Michael Brown is a director of energy solutions at NV Energy past chairman of PLMA and also a co-chair with me on the international interest group. So without further ado, take it away, Lee. Well, thank you very much, Judy, and thank you very much, Ross. You said the retire word. I was told by one of my former bosses, ex-president of Senio Gas and Electric, never to even say the word. Don't say the word, so I try not. I'm just going to ask you a bunch of questions that I ask on my podcast. A little bit simplified and quicker because we don't have as much time. And there were three of you. I usually just interview one person. But first off, I'd like to know what inspired you? What was your motivating moment that got you engaged in the fight against climate change? Michael, do you want to start us off? That is an interesting question. I think it's for, for me kind of a, it, it's been a lifelong journey. I, I've, when I was in my formative years as a child, I did a lot of time in scouting. And as a scout, you you spend a lot of time outdoors, you spend a lot of time with service and conservation projects and, and just learning about the environment. But at some point, right, you have to figure out how you're going to make money and, and live your life. And when I went to school, I studied international relations and chemistry, right? Because I got a little bit of this, a lot of the social sciences and then some hard sciences. I still didn't know what it was I wanted to do. But through all of those experiences, uh, you know, even in college, part of my extracurricular activities were related to environmental organizations. But afterwards, when you know, when I was sitting down trying to pull all these things together, what you know, my college roommate Mark Sigris, he gave me a book. He said, "I think you'll like this." It was Daniel Jurgen's The Prize, and I was not able to put this thing down. And when I got finished reading this book, a lot of the dots and the life experiences that I had started to come together. So, you know, I know exactly what I want to do, right? I, I want to get into this energy industry, but I want to focus it on demand side management and energy efficiency from the perspective of helping to resolve conflict. What comes out of those pages in the prize is, you know, this theme of the global conflict that is caused and the competition derived from the fossil fuel-based economy and this fight over resources. And so I thought, all right, well, from an energy independence perspective, you know, I can do a couple things. In my own small way, if I focus on energy efficiency projects, 
I can help with energy independence and that will help the environment and that will help reduce conflict in the world. And so I picked up the phone and I started calling different organizations to figure out how I could help. And I wound up with a guy on the phone named Larry Good. He, at the time, he was working in Washington, D.C., and he was the president of the National Capital Chapter, the Association of Energy Engineers. I told him what, he, what I wanted to do. He's like, oh. He's like, okay, well, I can help you with that. Why don't you come work for me? <laughs> and he was an independent consultant. I said, okay. And so I went and started out in Larry's kitchen, and he taught me the ropes. And then launched my journey and starting out in energy efficiency, eventually into to demand response. And so that's how, kind of how I got started. That's a great story. Hey, Jenny, can you talk about your motivating moment? My journey is a lot less intentional than, than Michael's. I followed cool work and ended up in the energy industry working for a utility a long time ago, more than two decades, less than four. For me, it's about using the resources we have wisely. I don't believe there's any such thing as totally clean energy. There's sources that are better than others, but everything has an impact. So for me, it's about using the resources in the best way to do the least amount of harm. And that eventually leads you to being worried about the climate and whatnot. For me, it was was answering a smaller question, but it ends up part of a larger answer. Ross? So my journey is maybe maybe a bit different, maybe not not quite as quite as interesting. As you know, I'm I'm an engineer, and what motivates me are, are things like physics and economics. And way back around 2000, when I was actually part of the great first electricity train wreck in California, if you remember that, and I had this goofy idea: if we had ever get the retail electricity customer to compete against supply in the wholesale market, we'd mitigate a bunch of this Enron craziness. So I started a demand response company, not really even knowing what it was. And that sort of kind of grew. And I became a believer that the cleanest megawatt you ever generate is the one you never generate and grew from there. And when I began to understand the necessity from a physics standpoint of the demand side to be able to achieve these decarbonization objectives is as we start to lose inertia on the system, as we start adding more you know, solar, for example, to the system and we lose we lose inertia. Things like demand response and energy storage are, are hugely important. And then as we began to really understand the economics of the, of the demand side and the economics of decarbonization, that's what uh, really got me going on. I hadn't planned to, but I'm going to throw in my answer for this too. <laughs> At Sendio Gas and Electric, I was in charge of IT infrastructure when the fires hit back in 2003. Everybody else, my neighbors, they were all leaving San Diego. I was driving into the fire. I had ash on my car. And once it was over and we got through the emergency, it was obvious what had caused it. We had never had winds like that in San Diego's history. So we didn't design the system for those kind of winds. And I wanted to help. I really got a lot out of helping during the fire and driving in rather than out. And I wanted to continue that feeling of, you know, doing something good for the world. So that's what got me going. Can you talk more in detail? We'll start this time with Jenny about what you, your company, or PLMA, from your perspective, what you're doing to help mitigate climate change. I said I followed cool work, and I ended up working for what I think is one of the coolest companies around. So Schneider Electric really walks the talk when it comes to sustainability. So we've been ranked for 12 years now by the Corporate Knights in their Global 100, and we're actually first in our peer group there. 
We're number one in our industry sector for the Dow Jones Sustainability Index for 12 years in a row now. And we've been designated as one of the 100 most ethical companies by Ethosphere, again, for 12 years in a row. So it's not just that we got on this bandwagon five years ago. It's been work that we've been doing, and it's really part of the company culture. So that part is super exciting that I ended up in a company that really does do the work even to the point of getting our supply chain to be zero CO2 in the future. That part is cool. I've also been involved with PLMA for quite a while, and I have the belief that we are not going to be able to integrate all of these intermittent resources without some ability to do control of those resources, whether it's storage, whether it's demand reduction, whether it's increasing demand at other times. Because you have this intermittent resource that you need to soak up and use that resource and maybe forego using a dirty resource later. So I think demand management is really the way that we are going to achieve a more sustainable energy system. I have this saying, all arrows in the quiver. And I think that's a very important arrow out there. Ross? Several people that have been around Palomay a long time, including myself. And when we started this organization, I'd say we were a bit of a silo. Demand response was really connected to energy efficiency, not so much connected to renewable energy, but as we morphed over time, and I think this organization has done a good job of being able to change with the industry. I look at demand response now as being one of a portfolio of DERs, and demand response is going to complement other DERs like solar and storage, and it's going to compete against them. And I agree with Jenny, we need to ha- now have a system, we'll call it a DERMS, we used to call it a, a DRMS, is, is now going to have to be able to be modified and, and expanded to become a DERMS. And these are going to be the essence we're going to have to have in order to achieve those decarbonization objectives. And even just recently, in the last 12 months, you know, this organization has really taken on the task of, of electricity charging infrastructure. We now have an interest group on EVs. Electrification of transportation is going to be the biggest DER of them all, I believe. And integration of that into the grid is going to be hugely important. And I think we'll have a really strong leadership role in that. Yeah, EVs are super exciting because they're so flexible. You have choices of when to charge, you can discharge. I mean, there's a lot to solve, but it's very exciting where that can go. And Michael? I'm going to lean in and, and leverage on, on Summer Ross's comments. From a PLMA perspective, We've been working to be a lot more explicit about how load management and load flexibility can support decarbonization. And we think it's not well understood, right? This global fight against climate change has so many different dimensions and aspects. There's so much money flowing around for mitigation and and adaptation. We want to make sure that you said all the arrows, right? We we say we're one of the tools in the tool chest that can also help achieve decarbonization objectives by growing and expanding our capabilities to deploy load flexibility programs and technology. So we've established, we actually have a specific strategic task force, right? It's, it's headed up by Dave Allspector in and it came out of one of our strategic retreats. It was Rich Barone and, and Robin Maslowski really leaned into setting up this task force and getting it rolling. And it's all about trying to recruit new folks to PLMA 
that are involved in the fight for climate change but may not understand what demand response is or what load flexibility is or or how it does the things that Jenny talked about, right? It helps increase the adoption of renewables by helping deal with the volatility. And so we're, we're trying to create materials and case studies and establish some best practices to help people understand, well, what's our niche? You know, what, what's our role in this industry? We've got many different types of members. Well, okay, we've got utilities, right? We've got energy service providers. We've got consultants, and they are all kind of leaning in, I would say, to figure out the details, right? We've got a lot of objectives. We've got a lot of ideas, but it's really hard, right, to figure out the details. Ross mentioned DERMs. Oh, my goodness. It's really hard to <laughs> figure out how to, how to actually get it implemented and working. And so that's what PLMA is doing. We're leaning in. We're helping. We're pulling the practitioners together. We're sharing best practices and we're helping people figure out the hard stuff and the, the details of how we actually implement the technology and, and the programs. Back in 2012, I was having a meeting with Terry Moan and he said, we have to put DERMS in our general rate case. I was like, DERMS, what is that? And, and really, <laughs> it was a term that wasn't out there very much. And I did put it in the rate case. I had to explain it many times to many people. But now it's definitely here, and I think most people understand what we need there and why. Ross, can you talk about a big success you're really proud of? And it could be with regards to a PLMA or something else, if you'd like. I'll talk a bit about a success that Michael and I had together. This was back when I first started in the consulting business. I went to the U.S. Green Building Council, if you know those guys. These are the guys that do the lead certification of buildings. And I went to them and said, hey, this lead program you got is really cool. You guys certify a million and a half square feet a day in lead. But why is it that these commercial buildings that consume 30, 40 percent of the power in the country, 99 and a half percent of them are connected to electricity, Internet in real time? And they went, huh, we're square foot people. I said, well, you know, we're kind of megawatt folks. How about we'd help you? We'll write a new lead credit of how, what it means to connect a commercial building to the grid and sort of what are the use cases and what are the economics and you know what are the environmental benefits. And we wrote that. And then we went to them and said, um, when you guys put out a new lead credit, you know, you kind of just put it out there and see what happens. This is the first time you've ever reached across the meter. How about we put some marketing behind it? I said, what do you mean? Said, well, why don't you let me talk to a few utility friends of mine? Michael Brown was one of them. <laughs> and we, we recruited Southern California Edison and NV Energy to program with us. And we went to every lead program behind those utilities and said, here's, here's what this great, wonderful grid is. Here's what it means to connect your building to the grid. Here's some of the use cases and some of the services that you can provide to the grid. And here's what the economics look like. And here are the people like Schneider Electric that can help you do that. And we, we also brought along the Environmental Defense Fund and Lawrence Berkeley National Labs to kind of answer the question of saying, okay, now that we've got this portfolio of buildings providing these services to the grid, what does that mean, really? What does that mean from a reliability standpoint? What does that mean from an economic standpoint? And what does that mean from an environmental outcome standpoint? And what happened out of that is the Environmental Defense Fund in particular took up the mantle, so to speak to go and start a campaign of how do we get the U.S. commercial building fleet grid connected and how many tens of thousands of megawatts of generation do we never build because of that? 
That's exciting. Hi, Jenny, you want to take a shot at that? You know, I don't have a big one that comes to mind. It's a lot of little ones. I work a lot with utilities across the country. And, you know, when we're able to help them get closer to their end users, help their end users understand when is a good time and a bad time to be using energy. It helps the grid. It helps everybody's financials. So I celebrate a lot the little the little victories that happen every day. And none of them are gigantic. But um, I, I think I heard the quote, you know, uh, many small streams make a river. So that's the part that I, I enjoy is just helping those little successes along the way. Yeah, I was in Greece earlier this year and I took a hike up this mountain, Meteora, and my guide found out what I did for a living. Like my buddy told him, the guide said, that's like digging a hole in the ocean. You should give it up. <laughs> and somebody overheard that and said, you mean like a drop in the bucket? And I said, whoa, 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 those are two different things. Because a drop in the bucket over time, you are going to fill that bucket. So that's exactly what we need. We need a lot of drops and everyone contributing. Digging a hole in the ocean is never going to happen. Uh, and if it is digging a hole in the ocean, I'd rather be digging anyway. Bury me with my shovel. But yeah, I think we need those little victories. I don't think there's any silver bullet that just solves everything. Michael, success story that you're proud of. I think I'm still searching for it, but I can honestly say that I've been very proud to be involved with PLMA because I feel like a, one of those drops. I feel like one of the team members. Part of, I think, what we've been successful you know, a PLMA is developing this community of like-minded practitioners. And we got to the point where we, hey, we've got a, like a special culture here. Let, let's kind of define our values. Which in community was one of those, respect, dedication, and member-led. So we've really got a group of folks that are dedicated to solving these problems that we know need to be solved and are really exchanging information in the community. Like, like Ross said with Israel, I met Ross at PLMA. That's, that's how we knew me. I met Jenny at PLMA. And so we're really leveraging that network to work as a team to help solve the problems. And I guess from, like from a development perspective, something we've been working on at PLMA is creating opportunities for people to develop themselves by becoming more involved, by leaning in to become you know, a member of the board of directors or become a member of a planning group or an interest group or to become a co-chair of an interest group, to move up, to become an executive committee member, so on and so forth. And, and I myself, I did that. I'm kind of proud of that. I think that's a success. It was just leaning in and engaging more and kind of worked my way up from being on the board to launching the education committee executive committee, and then then eventually becoming an officer as part of this team. And it's really something, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm proud of from both a personal perspective and from an organizational perspective. It might sound like an overused answer, like teamwork is everything. I've done about 150 of these podcasts and people have not mentioned teamwork, believe it or not, as a great way to make it happen because people think about what they're doing because they're individual interviews. So I'm really glad we had multiple people together so we could get that perspective out. I think it's really important. Thank you. When you have big problems, you need lots of hands. If you're all pulling in the same direction, at least you you make progress that way. So teamwork is huge. Yeah, I, I love it. 
So I'm going to change direction a little bit, Jenny. When you look at the future, I mean, how bad do you think climate change is going to get before we are able to solve it or will we solve it? The tongue in cheek answer is I used to do a lot of behavioral or you know organizational behavior stuff and people behave the way they're going to behave until it's too painful to do so, whatever behavior it is. And so perhaps I'm a little bit of a pessimist. I think it's going to get worse and maybe significantly worse before people actually start changing behavior. How bad will it get? Well, I think the planet will survive. The planet has been through lots of temperature changes over time. The question is whether we're going to be around to see it. I do a little bit of stand-up comedy, and it's always involving climate change, all my jokes. One of my openers is that recently Bill Gates said that, hey, the planet will survive. And like to me, it's like, big whoop, I'm not a planet. <laughs> you know, that doesn't, <laughs> doesn't do any good. He didn't say it first, this yeah, most I, recent. I, I don't think that means that we shouldn't be working hard towards a solution. As we talk about the many hands, it's going to take a lot of people pulling in the same direction. And I, I also think focus is going to be really important. I think a lot of people do too many things at once. Either climate change is something that they want for a different reason, but I think we need to actually be focused on getting the solution instead of too many things all at once. Michael, your thoughts about the future of the planet, future of people? Well, sure. I mean, you, you asked, do you think we'll be able to, to solve or figure out a way to mitigate climate change? Yeah, absolutely. I do. I mean, and we already are. So it's a question of the extent to which we can mitigate. And of course, the conversation is, well, it, well it's already too late, right? We, we missed some key targets. So now it's about adaptation, too, right? So there, there's a whole bunch of time, effort, and money now spent on preparing and adapting for what we know is, is to come. I, I wish I was more of an expert on exactly how high the sea levels are going to rise and you know how many millions of people are going to be displaced already without us not being able to do too much about it. That doesn't mean we shouldn't lean in and double down on whatever we can do to mitigate. I think that's what we've got to do. Yeah, it'll get pretty bad, but that doesn't mean we we shouldn't all keep working as hard as we can on the mitigation efforts. Yeah, got to keep shuffling or at least <laughs> contributing drops. That's right. Because <laughs> without yeah. it, it only gets worse. Yeah. If we don't keep working. Yeah, I don't think there's an option. Ross, your thoughts on this? couple answers to that. Today, I just read the annual report for the Rocky Mountain Institute, RMI. You take a look at that thing and you see that both Europe and the U.S. energy intensity is sort of flattening out, maybe a little bit less. And then you see China. And it's on an exponential curve still. My belief is until we can get China and we can get India in the boat, we're fighting a losing battle. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't fight, right? doesn't mean we shouldn't fight. But I mean, yeah. you said, how bad can it get? It's not going to get appreciably better until we get the other global economies in the boat with us. The second thing that, that I'll say is, this is for me is deja vu all over again. If you remember back in 2004 when the, with the ARRA funding for the Obama and utilities, and you were one of them probably, were rushing to see how fast we can buy meters at half price, <laughs> right? And it was all about the hardware. And I was screaming at the top of my lungs at the time, it isn't about the hardware, it's about the data. And we put a, in a, a bunch of hardware out there 
that actually became more like boat anchors. They didn't get the job done. I feel we're on a very similar trajectory right now with the Inflation Reduction Act. But the way we're, we're doing electrification right now, in fact, one of the things at PLMA we're taking a look at is how do we harmonize the electrified transportation industry and the grid? Because right now they're not on a convergent course. And we absolutely need to be able to have communication, coordination, control between those two. And we're a long ways away from that. My view is if we took a breath and make sure we're, we're doing the right thing, not just doing it fast, but doing it fast and right. Uh, we were guilty. <laughs> we, we, did, we didn't win our ARA grant. I, I helped put it together. It was pretty exciting. We had every, every officer in the company, well, in sdg signed it. And we thought we had a great $200 million ask. Uh, <laughs> But uh, we didn't get it. So, but we probably would have had a lot of data that we didn't do anything with if we did. We already already started our smart meter program, so we didn't ask for that. What advice do you have? And you can be PLMA centric, or you could go at, you know, off the board a little bit. But what advice do you have for people that want to help mitigate climate change? I'll start with Michael. Since you invited me, I'll, I'll be a little bit PLMA centric first. Look, if you don't know who PLMA is, learn a little bit more about us and come to the conference, come to some of our, our interest groups. That, you know, that's the first set of advice I would have is at least understand what our role is and what, you know, the role of demand flexibility and integrating renewables and, and climate change is, even if you're not an expert, even if that isn't your niche, at least to learn what that resource is. And then to follow up on that, you know, from a personal perspective is, well, find your niche. It's such a huge fight, like I mentioned before, with so many different aspects. You can't be an expert in all of them. So find your piece and lean in and just do your best at what it is that you do best is, is really kind of my, my advice. Yeah. And Ross? The thing that, that I look at is we throw around the term ESG a lot. And I see a lot of corporate America that's sort of, on my mind, is still kind of greenwashing ESG. One of the things that we can do positively in this country is we set some standards on how you measure that ESG. And with the Securities Exchange Commission and public companies that actually you know want to achieve net carbon, I get concerned when I start seeing companies starting to walk back commitments they've made. Certain oil companies shall remain nameless. <laughs> but committed to a date certain for zero carbon. And I'm not sure they're going to they're make that now. It's holding public companies, their feet to the fire. And it's us as shareholders doing that and the public. Yeah, you know, there's money there. <laughs> That's why it's hard to hold their feet to the fire. Yeah, you see the recent acquisition by Chevron in, in Texas and you go, wow, how are you going to achieve net zero carbon when you're making a many billion dollar acquisition in reserves? Basically, oil and gas is like the cash cow. Also the company, a technology company in Silicon Valley back in the 80s, early 90s. And yes, we knew we were going to phase out these old big machines and we're going to move towards smaller machines, but we sold as many as we could while that was something that could still be sold. And I just think this is an example of that and it's definitely getting in the way. Jenny, advice? Do what you can when you can. And thinking specifically about PLMA organization, this is an organization that is volunteer driven. The number of staff that are part of this organization is very small, smaller than one handful of fingers, but all of the work that gets done gets done by volunteers. And we all have time to do something. We don't always have a lot of time. Sometimes we have more than, than less, but 
this is a place you can make a difference. You can make a difference for the entire industry by contributing your knowledge, your time, your talent. In the PLMA world, that's one place you can make a difference. I think outside of PLMA, there are small things that we can all do every day. Back to my you know, gigantic thing that I'm proud of, but it's a lot of the small wins. The incremental changes that we can make individually, I think, will end up making a large difference overall. When I lived in San Diego, I had solar on my roof. First of all, it was a very good business case, but second of all, it made me feel like I was helping. And I moved to Washington recently and the roof and the economics, it's not a little thing that I feel like I could do. So instead I looked around and I did find like a fund where they build solar other places where there is a positive business case. And I invested in that instead just to do something. Somebody I know is talking about why they can't use an electric vehicle because they don't have a way to charge, that's very easy. And I said, then don't buy an electric vehicle, but there are hybrids out there. There are ways of making a difference for everyone. I'm a little bit nervous about doing this, but on my podcast, I always open it up to my guest, Singular, uh, to ask me any question they want. And it's a little bit dangerous with three of you here, but I'd be happy to uh, answer any questions if you have. I do. I, I, Lee, I, th I think we'll turn it around. You have now done, what, 100 and 49 or 150, just make 150 of these podcasts, you probably started to notice some general trends and, and you've probably developed a, a short list of advice for an organization like PLMA, understanding that, you know, I described the types of members that we have and how we're trying to get the message out there about how demand flexibility is one of these tools that you need to be cognizant of and learn about. What would be your advice to us as an organization for recruiting more like-minded individuals or letting other folks know what our role is in decarbonization? Well, it looks like you're growing pretty well from what I saw. I'm a little jealous. I'm with a number of organizations and we don't have those kind of numbers. So congratulations about that. You must be doing something right already. But selfishly, I'm going to answer it this way. I think you can tie it to climate change. Of course, there's other benefits. There's money saving, energy savings, right? There's a lot of other reasons. But I think there are lots of forums where the message of how it helps with climate change will go over very well. Giving examples of that and communicating that clearly. I helped launch a company a few years ago where they reduce data storage. And I have this rule. I don't want to spend my time on things that aren't climate related because I only have so much time. And it's the issue that I'm passionate about. But this person said, well, isn't less data storage? Doesn't that help with climate change? And I actually dug in. It's less energy, less shipping costs, less construction costs, manufacturing costs. There's less electricity, less HVAC. So there's an incredible number of ways that it helps mitigate climate change. But he wasn't talking about those until I asked. And now we've developed a little pitch together. For more information on RestoreVault, how to reduce data storage emissions, cost, and risk, contact me or listen to the Climate Champions podcast, episode number 145, with my special guest, Jesse Sharforis. So I think developing a good climate change pitch in addition to the other pitches that you have, and maybe you already have done that, but I think that's a that can be very helpful, especially with people understanding more and more about what's going on with the planet. 
So Lee, I, as you know, I'm I'm a really big fan of the Climate Champions and the work that you do. And I've sort of got two questions for you. I know that producing the Climate Champions isn't free. <laughs> <laughs> it costs money. And I know that you are not so much of a self-promoter here, but I do I do know maybe you can say a few words about sponsorship of the Climate Champions and what that means. And also, I have a question for you. Last year, you were at Distributech and actually did a, a man on the street, so to speak, in, in interviews with exhibitors there. Are you, are you planning to be at Distributech again? Because a number of our members will be there. Well, you put a lot of questions in there at once, and I'm too old to remember all of them. But you can remind <laughs> me as we get to them. I think first you asked about sponsorship. And first, I want to let everybody know, Ross has been very helpful to me. He wants to see the success of the Climate Champions, and I really appreciate that very much. I mean, I'm not going to get into a lot of details. There are different sponsorship levels based on how many episodes you want to sponsor and how long you kind of want your tagline to be at the beginning of each episode. Also, you get to help choose podcast guests. Again, depending on the level and how many you've committed to, you get to choose a different number of podcast guests. And I'm willing to work at other exchanges as well. I'm really not... <laughs> Ross doesn't like me to say this, but I'm really not in it for the money. So the biggest thing that I'm looking for is to expand listenership and expand the message and have all the great things you are saying get out there to as many people as possible. So that's really the focus. Uh, sponsorship is just one way to, to help do that and to help pay the bills a bit. Uh, with regards to the Distributech, yes, I'll be there. I'll also be at Grid Connect. I hope I'm allowed to plug Grid Connect uh, in December. I'll be interviewing Jean Rodriguez, Assistant Director of Department of Energy. I do that every year over hot sauce. We call it the hot seat. And I had Jigger Shaw a couple of years ago, a congressperson last year. So that's going to be a lot of fun. That's December 5th. And I'm doing that in Washington live and kind of a live episode like this, but actually in person. And then I will definitely be a Distributech. I'm on the advisory board there. And I, I love that. I've been there for many, many, many years. Yeah, I'll be interviewing people that have booths. Anybody wants me to interview them, let me know. Again, I don't charge anything for that. I just do it because it's a lot of fun. And I like, number one, helping Distributech advertise beforehand. And then afterwards, kind of summing it up a bit, I did get hired by a company to specifically focus on their employees and their messages. And I do some videos for them. It's just iPhone videos. I don't do anything complicated, but I think they came out pretty good. If anybody's interested, I could definitely send you those. They're all on LinkedIn. Right on. Oh, talk about teamwork and meeting and networking, which is Michael talked about that here and this organization. Last year, also at the suggestion of Ross, I'm going to admit, I did get a group called the Climate Champions. It's a LinkedIn group I started. I got people together and we had about 30 people that came last year. And I think the best part of it was different people that are focused on this issue all met and talked to each other and are now working together. So we created a bit of a team. So I might be doing that again this year and you can look for that as well. Continuing with the small actions done together, make big changes. So there's a good number of people on, on this call and we'll listen to it afterwards. So what one thing should we all do besides manage our electronic storage? What one thing should we do when we get off of this call today that you think would make a difference overall? I am not trying to be political here, but the, the best answer I get when I ask that question is people need to at least think about this issue when they vote, because that makes a big difference. And that's what I'll say on that 
specific thing you could do. I also mentioned EVs and hybrid vehicles. I think that just thinking about what you drive and trying to do better when you purchase your next vehicle can be very helpful because that is very damaging to the planet. People say not to mention this because everybody's done it already, and I'm sure on this call everybody has, but LED light bulbs. I know people that still haven't moved, and it's great light. Lasts forever. You don't have to change the bulb, so that's one, and that's easy. The hardest one is diet, and beef specifically is a big drain on the planet, and I know that people have a hard time giving up beef. I do as well. I know people that do a Monday without meat, for example, you know, just trying to at least move in that direction. I did some research and some of the foods it looks like aren't as bad for the environment. So like chicken isn't as bad, fish isn't as bad. Beef is really the big one. So if you can reduce it, that's probably a big thing that people can do. That was more than one. Sorry about that. It's always good to have options. Judy? I was going to invite you, Lee, to summarize all of these really <laughs> okay. interesting points, put you on the hot seat here for PLMA. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, if we are running out of time here, then I will wrap this up and I will wrap it up with a wrap. Michael had a book that opened his eyes. It was the book, The Prize. Russ says the cleanest megawatt ever is the one you don't generate. No, never. Jenny has this very great rule. Follow the work. That is cool. And maybe this can be a subject of a meme, but we can do a lot more when we work as a team. We're not going to solve climate change by hocus pocus. We will to look at the little things and focus. It was Great being here. The conversation was boss. Thank you so much, Jenny, Judy, Michael, and Ross. <laughs> <laughs> Two thumbs up. <laughs> Outstanding. That was fantastic. We're also going to say a big thank you to Ross and Michael and Jenny for this very compelling set of questions and answers and the ideas you all brought to the forefront today. I think there's some really thoughtful big things and also day-to-day -day things, which I'm excited about and I have written down as well. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, visit my website at crevatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe. Rate it five stars if you're an Apple user and tell your climate concerned friends about it. I love the passion the PLMA panel had for connecting with each other and leveraging teamwork to solve difficult problems. To minimize the impact of emissions to our life, our home, our planet, there are a tremendous number of issues we have to face. In addition to needing all the arrows in all the quivers, we can only meet these challenges by working together as a team to mitigate climate change.